Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Producers Podcast with Micah Versman. I am not Micah Versman. I am Chad Garrett, and I actually host the podcast called The Multidimensional Nerd. I am a writer, director, producer, and now actor of all things, though I promise you I am employed. Um, and I am sitting down with the one and only Micah Versman. Um, we wanted to kind of change the game up on you guys uh, just a little bit and make Micah the uh, the subject of our conversation for today. So, Micah, first of all, thank you for letting me take over your podcast and hijack this thing. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it it should be good. I haven't uh, I haven't been on this side of the microphone for a couple seasons now, so it was so nice not having to uh, prep questions, though. I I will say. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many seasons has the producers' podcast been going on? Let's start there. This is it's uh seventh season seventh season about how many episodes have you been doing a season nine to ten is kind of the average yeah here's another question i've always wondered what is the criteria you know because it's called the producers podcast but i've also noticed that you've had people that aren't exactly producers in the realm come on to the podcast so what's the criteria that you use to pick some of your hosts and bring them on to the show Mm -hmm. yeah so uh Criteria wise, it everything still has to be related to producing in some way. So even if they're not a producer, the questions and topics we're going to discuss are still going to come back to something that applies to the producer. Um, and then really the the other big one is just kind of like revolves around where I'm at in my producer journey and like things either I'm interested in learning more on or maybe I just had to do something for the first time. And so now I want to hear how other people, um, you know, handled that or did that. So a lot of it is just kind of my interest and what I'm looking to learn more. Well, I'm hoping that we can dive into the things that you have learned on some projects, maybe, uh, and this is actually a great segue um, into what we uh, originally talked about chatting about. And that is um, a trilogy of films, short films that you are making, um, as a project to talk about the uses of God's word and the different ways that God's word can, can be applied and stuff like that. And, uh, off screen you or off, off podcast, I guess, cause I'm used to having the podcast. I'll be videoed, um, off, off podcast. Uh, you mentioned how the series you had with never really had a name, but you guys like loosely called it the crave trilogy. So let's start with with where you guys got the name the Crave Trilogy in the first place, because that didn't just manifest out of nowhere. And as as uncool as you might think it is, that seems like a pretty cool name to me. You could have just left that. That's you could market the crap out of that, man. Um. Yeah. I mean, it really was super unoriginal. So we were doing three films. So hence the trilogy, and Crave was the name of the first film in the trilogy. And since the theme was kind of the same throughout, we were like, let's just make it simple and call it the Crave Trilogy, which... So what is the theme? uh, Yeah, so the theme is ultimately just the word of God. And then the goal was that each film would look at that topic from a little bit different perspective of either how it applies to your life or how you can use it in your everyday life and so on and so forth. 
So what? walk me through each step of this. Now, I'm assuming that as a trilogy, they built on each other. So certain elements of the previous one, or, or were they more standalone and they just sort of shared a, a cohesive body of, from, a, from a thematic perspective? Yeah, so we we tried to do it more in like the cinematic universe style as opposed to like the Star Wars style where you had, you know, films that let you know were telling one bigger story and so while there were you know characters or maybe elements from one film that you know appeared in the next film or whatever we tried to write them to where if you didn't see what came before you could still watch that film and understand its story Mm -hmm. and the message but if you'd seen the other you know, then there'd be these Easter eggs or things that might mean a little bit more because you knew of some significant moment from that film. So talk, talk to me about the first film, Crave. Um, what were, what portion of the word of God was that about and how did you guys go about depicting that? Yeah, so that one, we, uh, we focused on just the aspect of being rooted in the word of God, um, you know, whether that's through attending church regularly, reading your Bible, you know, whether it's at night in the mornings, whenever, but, you know, personal time reading it and just how that grounding can help you in your everyday life. And, uh, so we, we showed that through our main character being a freshman in college who's in that stage of everything in their life is changing. You know, they're not at home with their parents or around their friends, their boyfriend, all those things that uh, that's kind of been their world and their foundation for 18 years. And now they're in this new world. And the second film, did that film have its own, its own name or did you guys, you guys said you didn't really get around to naming too many of them. So what was the second film about? Yeah, so each film actually did have its own name. Uh, So, yeah, the second one uh, was Stand Firm. And so that one uh, then, which in some ways was a very different shift in terms of message, but it was looking at uh, the topic of like Christian persecution, but from Mm -hmm. not from the perspective of like either how bad is it or those types of things, but how the word of God can help you in those times. Um, and we tried to do it. I don't know how successful we were, but, but again, with our, with it revolving around some of the same characters from the first one who are college age, we tried to do it in a way that rep that like showed the types of persecution that like American teens or, you know, college students face, which is more like that peer pressure, of what are others might, you know, going to think or say, or, you know, put out on social media, that type of stuff, as opposed to, you know, so many movies, it's like, oh, we're going to come, you know, shoot you or chop your heads off or, you know, kill you. Um, we wanted to take the, the, the approach where some people would say, yeah, that's not as big of a persecution or whatever. And in some ways it's not, but at the same time, there's a lot of people that like at least to them, it seems, you know, that way. And it can be a challenge. Well, everything is relative, right? And this is one of the things that I come back to um, 
over and over and over again is this perspective that we live in such a prosperous country and we have lived in such a prosperous country as a, as a society for so long um, that we don't understand what real persecution is anymore. And that's okay, right? Because now everything is relative. But the things that matter in your life and the things that you find value in whenever you're persecuted for those or whenever you're ostracized for those, that is absolutely a form of persecution. And sometimes that psychological warfare that's happening in our heads can be just as bad as physical pain, if not worse, because we become our own worst enemy, which is where Mm -hmm. the devil likes to play his games, right? That's where the lies seep in and where he tries to convince us to destroy ourselves. Um, Because we, I'm a firm believer that we absolutely have the power to destroy ourselves and all the devil has to do is lie to us enough to get to convince us to do it. Um, The third film never got finished and we'll talk about that a little bit, but what was the third film supposed to be about? Yeah, so again, like the second one, it was going to be a a very big topical shift, but still sticking with the word of God. And so that one was going to jump and look at the topic of false doctrine in the church. And how do you use the word of God to first like spot that yourself? And then once you're like, hey, that's not right. That's not what the Bible teaches. How do you then confront that in a way that still addresses the issue, but, you know, is done in a, an appropriate way. So let's talk about the series as a whole. And, and I, so we've talked about the content of this thing, and now I want to talk about the process. Your role in this thing was as a producer, obviously, but what did that, what did your duties entail? What type of problem solving did you guys have to encounter uh, and and other things. Walk me through what you did and your when you were starting this journey to make this project. What was the first thing that you tried to t- attack and tackle as a producer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this when I when it was first getting started, and even to some degree when we did the second film, it was um, kind of unique. I didn't actually like view myself as a producer, so like I'm not even credited anywhere in the film as a producer. I was just the writer. And the director, even though I did a lot of producer duties, I just wasn't, this was before like my producer journey even really began. Okay. Um, and so like I had a couple people that I brought on, you know, one of them was my dad who, you know, went to school for business and had, a you know, knew a lot of that side of things. Another one was just a, a trusted friend that even though they don't know anything about film, they, you know, there's somebody that is good at listening and giving good advice or opinions. And so I kind of brought them on to help handle a lot of the producer tasks, especially on set, because I was going to be directing the project. Uh, But, you know, again, I was still doing a lot of, especially in the pre-production stage and post-production, I did a lot of that producing. Um, So that it, it was a unique in that way of, I wasn't like fully embracing and so there were a lot of problems that came up on set that it wasn't, I didn't actually have to deal with as a producer um, because they were there to, to handle those. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the, uh, the first big thing is always money and uh, mm. how are you going to do it? Because I wanted, this was like coming, I'd reached that point in my career where it's like, I had done kind of the no budget, you know, short films, tr- trying to just do some stuff. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to like finally 
go to the next level um, where I'm bringing on people that like to act and, you know, are interested in acting in film and crew that have actually worked on projects. And so it's like, well, you need a budget at that point. Uh, so that was the first big hurdle. And it's impressive that I didn't get a lot of gray hairs from, uh, you know, trying to do that. Amidst no, no, everything else. Getting in, <laughs> no to anyone getting into producing, you will have gray hair. Yes, you will. Yeah. Especially um, if you're doing, uh, all or nothing crowdfunding. <laughs> oh gosh. That, that is one side of the producing fundraising world that I despise. There are people that are great at it. It is mm -hmm. not for me. I do not have the social media presence, nor do I have the mind for that. I, I like very personal, intimate relationships with people. I can't like the whole, like, let me try and be intimate and put it on blast for everyone. I'm just like, gives me the heebie-jeebies there are some people that are over that are out there that are gifted in doing that and being fully transparent more power to them lord knows we need you but i just not god bless if you can find if, if i can give any any suggestion on this podcast if you are a producer in the modern day find yourself someone who has that talent because mm -hmm. the way that the world is moving it seems like you need it more and more yes Let's talk a little bit about what the what the all or nothing crowdfunding thing looked like. Why did you settle on that version of crowdfunding? Because or, or or that that version of funding, I should say, not crowdfunding, but funding. Because um, there's a, a hundred different ways that you could have gone about funding. You could have gone to independent churches and held luncheons with pastors and and deacons and gotten people to invest in you that way. You could have. Uh, you know, just worked your butt off and saved up a bunch of money and funded it that way over a longer period of time. You know, like, why did you choose the crowdfunding direction? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had on some of my no budget shorts, I had done that before where like I so funded it. And so like, I knew I didn't want to do that again. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't want to even even though you you know, what I was trying to do was I viewed it as an investment in my career. I didn't want to spend that much money out of my own pocket to, to do it. Um, I think a big part of why I went the, the crowdfunding route was one, just, I mean, at the time I was still a teenager. Yeah. I guess I would have been around 20 when I, when, when we were doing it and all that. Uh, but that was back in 2017. And so like back then cr crowdfunding, especially in the Christian film space, that seemed like the thing, like there were so many, especially short films, but I mean, even, you know, you go back into kind of those 2010s era, there were even bigger feature film projects, docu feature documentaries and all that, where it's like, that's what they were doing was the Kickstarter, the Indiegogo, whatever and they were being successful so i think some of it was just too you know it's like well everybody else seems to be doing it this way and succeeding so that must be the right way to yeah, go about and that was doing the, it that was the hot thing back then too right that was that like this is not to say that the internet was brand new, but this was like when the internet actually started having coding coming into it and it was actually starting to become user-friendly for once. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this was in the early heydays of even YouTube and stuff like that, right? Like that was, 
you know, back whenever the internet still felt like it was free. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that, <laughs> now, that is now definitely is true. Monetized or, yep. or you got advertisements popping up on Google whenever you go do a Google search nowadays. Not really, but it feels like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I can totally understand the draw, especially as a teenager being like, oh, here's this new hot spicy thing that everyone's using. Let me jump on that. So what advice would you give having had the experience of doing producing things, but also having been the writer director, eventually everyone who does that has to make the conscious choice of, okay, I am now going to step away from my producer duties so that I can focus on what I need to do as a director. What did that experience um, that you were going through at that age to sort of help teach you about that transition of when to hand off the reins? This is a while ago. Like, I don't remember struggling as much with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was just because I had up to that point never really had a big interest in being a producer and didn't fully grasp like what that position all entailed other than well every movie has one and they kind of handle paying people um (laughs) (laughs) you know and so yeah I don't the, the first one I don't remember as much of that um like the biggest thing which you could kind of say is a producer thing or you could also argue I should have it was a locations <laughs> bug biting me, but I was very much the, I should, as like the head of the project, I should be the first one up in the morning and like the last one going to bed <laughs> at night, which sometimes, you know, you're doing work and that's legitimate. Uh, but yeah, I don't remember too much else in terms of it being hard. And he, I mean, and while our set was professional in some ways, in many ways, it was very much not professional. You know, it was still that yeah. like very indie short film vibe. Group of know. kids making this thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, so let, let's jump ahead a little bit and let's talk about the third film. Why did the third film never get finished? Yeah. Uh, so we spent roughly four years trying to get the funds needed to finish shooting it and everything and granted this all like 2020 was when we were like originally trying to get the money to finish it you know so like just to give context like we were dealing with so much of that as well initially um and it just it was like time after time after time you know we tried different campaigns we tried doing you know different not all of what we tried was crowdfunding uh you know like through a kickstarter or whatever we we did try you know contacting churches um and different things like that as well and it was just like we never you know we might get a hundred bucks here or there but it was Mm -hmm. like we just couldn't get it off the ground um and it was just getting to that point where even though it was like I wanted to get it. I would have loved to have seen it finished. It's like it keeps getting drawn out. And, you know, so many of like the crew that had had been working on it now, their careers were in like this next tier to where it's like, I don't even know if you could get those people back with what we, you know, had budgeted to pay people because 
I know what they're all doing and they're all, you know, charging more than they were back then. And it was kind of just becoming this like weight in the back of my mind of like, there's this project that like need, you know, needs time and attention and it's never getting, you know, and, and everything. And so I just like, it reached the point where, um, we didn't just like outright come and say we're canceling it. We kind of set like a deadline of like, okay, we're going to try this one last thing, but if we can't get the funds, you know, by this point, we're just going to, uh, show the project and it's just not going to get finished. Um, did you guys have a, a plan for either distribution or sharing this thing that was, was there any plan for the, this series to make money? Cause that's a we, big question, right? How do you sell? Mm-hmm. How do you sell? How do you sell? It's showbiz, not show art as much as we want to talk about how movies are art. Yeah. We, I mean, we were trying, I mean, my dream starting it was like, this is going to be the short film that proves everybody wrong and makes money, you know, like not only like sees money come in, but like we would make back what we spent on it you know, and Mm -hmm. then start like actually seeing profit come in, um, which didn't happen. Now, a lot of the few people that I have shared, like, this is what we actually like have made to date on the first one are like, that's actually pretty impressive for a short film, you know, who at the time we started, it had no email follower list, had like a four, 400 people following on Facebook, like, the presence we had was like super small. So a lot of people say you, you still did good. Um, but it was a hard, hard thing, partly because just the whole industry changed. So like when we released the first one, that was still back when Amazon let anybody put short films on prime. And so like the first one is still, because it's still, you know, getting views, Amazon hasn't like pulled the plug and said, we need space for other content. And so you can, you can still watch the first one on there. But by the time we got the second one done, Amazon had changed their tone and, you know, we're no longer accepting short films. So that, that did become a challenge as part of it is like all these different platforms as the streaming world was coming about were changing what they allowed what they didn't and there were a number of of plans that just because of that you know fell through um and yeah i mean beyond that you know i mean we tried other you know we tried reaching out to like some different you know christian book type publishers because we we were designing a bible study to go along with it so you know like if you're familiar with especially like the Kendrick brother films, how they have a film and then they have some type of companion Bible study or book that goes along. We were trying to kind of do that same model. So we were, you know, we were trying a lot of those avenues too. And, you know, again, I was a teenager. So a lot of it was, it just wasn't a great film. Like there's already stuff that it's like, I would love to go back and, you know, re-edit the first film and you know cut you know rearrange these three things and cut this out completely and stuff so you know looking back it it doesn't surprise me that you know it didn't get picked up by any of those but that had kind of been our thing was like streaming we were hoping to get to do stuff and that just didn't really end up happening much and then uh getting you know a couple of bigger 
Christian book distributors to to carry it as well, and none of them were mm-hmm. really interested. What were some of the biggest takeaways that you that you feel like you got from from writing, directing, but also subliminally, like out of necessity, producing mm-hmm. uh, this series? What 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 things did did you do back then that still stick with you? Overall, like just my now, granted, I haven't written a lot of stuff in the last several years. I don't know how much it stuck with me, but like I had a lot of people that did comment on how over the course of just having to of writing these three films, like my screenwriting just got better. And, you know, some of the people that like because I would have some people as we were, you know, crafting the scripts that like I had read all of them so that to get feedback on like the interconnecting parts of it. And so, you know, a lot of them were like, yeah, this is way better as a, you know, draft three on for the third film than your draft three of the second film was. So that, that was a cool thing. Again, obviously I don't really use that skill. Um, Now I think a lot of it was just, even though everybody was, on my sets were like the young gung ho filmmakers that didn't mind, you know, working 16 hour days at the time. And now, now they've all changed their tunes, but like mm-hmm. a lot of it was just like getting, um, a lot of those basic experiences of like, you know, learning how much time it actually takes to set up cameras and lights and art and all that. When you actually have a crew and you're trying to make it good, as opposed to when, it's you know no budget or you know the second film that was the first project that i produced where we kind of did overnights for a couple you know days of the shoot and like just getting a sense of like how that works and affects the crew um and and some of that so i i don't know there weren't like any like this is a like a huge Thing, but it was like a it was more like the smaller things that are pretty norm but it's like until you experience them you know get that experience of leading a set once doing it you don't really know what's it, what it's like and then being able to adjust the next time to make it better have you made any connections through that process or project with people that you still either work with or that you've realized that without that that going through what you did with the crave trilogy that you wouldn't have had an opportunity later that like, have you seen how God has directly linked things back to that project? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sadly, not a whole lot of, of the people I've worked, I worked with as like cast and crew, I've gotten to, to do uh, projects with since then. Some of it, you know, has just been life has gotten them busy and they don't, some of them don't do film that much anymore. Mm-hmm. And some of them, it's just our paths. We're, we're both so busy. We're all so busy in film that it's like every time I, I want them on a project, they're already booked on something else or, you know, vice versa, different things like that. Um, but there are, there are definitely, you know, there's some crew on there that, you know, I'm, you know, maybe once a year, you, you still end up on the same set. Um, definitely people I, I still keep in contact with. Um, but like overall the the biggest takeaway and it was now that like I'm on the producer's journey and like, I know this is, I guess what you could say, like where I'm supposed to be in the industry. This is Mm -hmm. one of the things that like helped me be 
more okay with the trilogy not getting finished, but it was uh, the first film I actually like say I produced that got me going was a film called Wheelchair. And the reason I was asked to do that was the writer and director had seen Crave and was like, hmm. that was that um, was really well done. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to go see if I can hire Micah to come do it for me. Um, Relatable. Yep. And so <laughs> it was like, with without, if that right. wouldn't have happened, I don't think I would have, you know, thought about producing at all. Or if I would have, it would have been quite a while later. But that was like, the moment that like got me started producing and so to me like looking back i'm like hey that that's worth it because it's like that's now like i'm doing producing pretty much full time it's like that's so far how i've been paying the bills this year that's awesome and, you know and everything and without making that first film in the trilogy it probably wouldn't have happened where do you see your producing career going <laughs> next where where do you see this this journey taking you that's a good question it's a, it's a very it's a very big and broad question and i can rephrase it if you need me to no i like i get i get what you're asking um to some degree i don't fully know i would say for me right now like the biggest thing i'm kind of trying to focus on is getting to that point of where there's like these three or four connections that I have that are like always doing projects, you know, whether it's a, whether they do commercial, whether they do narrative, whatever, to where it's, it can kind of get to that point where it's like, I just go from, you know, one to the next working on projects. And it's not as much like having to watch, you know, crew calls, you know, and, and all of that. So that like, that's one, that's one way I guess you could say like where I'm trying to get as a producer is having more of that not niche but like core I'm not sure what the word would be not audience but uh it's like a core community of filmmakers that you're attached to yeah um yeah but yeah other than that like I don't really there's not like one area of film I want to be working in like I enjoy the commercial side because I've gotten to work in so many different like industries and go to so many different locations and stuff like that that you maybe never would in narrative film mm -hmm. where it's like well now well, you know I've in, there's been times it's like I've ended up on a film project that's narrative and because of my knowledge of how this industry works it actually has helped my producing um, whether because I know like where to go to research stuff or whether I already know, well, this is what they're going to say, or this is how they're, you know, what, what they would do. When, when I met you, you were doing, um, like assistant accounting worker or accounting worker or, um, or, or something of that nature. I'll just mm -hmm. keep the details light. You're a numbers guy, right? Like that's where I'm trying to get to with this. Yep. Do you see yourself, um, sort of settling into the line producer thing, or do you enjoy, and desire um, or think that God has you on the path of becoming uh, like uh, or elevating beyond the line producer role into the realm of, of being one of the producers that's not just in charge of managing the money and making sure that the money is well spent, but making sure that the project gets done. 
Um, that kind of comes from a perspective of what are the different types of producers, right? And people that mm-hmm. don't know uh, the difference between, uh, you know, the different types of producers. There's a book out there called From Real to Deal by Dov S. S. Simmons. He lays it out much simpler than I ever could. Yep. <laughs> it's very concise. It's great. Use that as your Bible for everything um, when it comes to producing. Uh, but the difference between numbers guy and um, in charge of getting the full production done, where do you see yourself falling? Or do you just say like, you know, just w- what are your opinions? Where do you think God has you going in that realm? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I enjoy the numbers. Like that's one skill I've actually or not skill, but like one thing from like school that I've kept pretty well is being able to do that mental math of quickly adding numbers and all that up um, in my brain. You're a psycho. (laughs) You're an absolute psycho. Like I can do it too, but I don't enjoy it. (laughs) I don't, I don't say I enjoy it. I just enjoy like being able to impress people by like, (laughs) I do it out of necessity, man. I do it Um, because it's the only, like, unless you can rattle those numbers off the top of your head, good luck getting anybody to sign on the dotted line with their money. mm -hmm. Yikes. I mean, yeah. And I'm not perfect at like adding it up always, but I, I do like, I really enjoy, I found like, even without trying, I usually have a a pretty easy time memorizing like the budget to where I don't even have to be referencing the document to know like, what are we paying this position or have budgeted for, you know, art or travel or whatever. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I don't know. Like definitely the funding side is not, my cup of tea so i could definitely see myself becoming more of a producer that's still is one of the ones helping get it from start to finish but that's like working with somebody that specializes in the funding side to get the money and then kind of handle a lot of the ongoing you know communication with like the investors and whatever throughout the whole process um how important do you think it is when it comes to um, networking slash gatekeeping on personnel, right? So you and I could sit here if we really wanted to, and we could rattle off names on this podcast as to people who are great producers who we think that you should call and here's their phone numbers, blah, blah, blah. Um, however, I have found that anytime that I have come across a, a resource like that, it never pans out because you don't have a personal relationship with the people. And in the producing realm, the success or failure of a project depends on, uh, is one of the things that largely depends on whether you get paid, not how much you get paid, but whether you get paid. Um, So from your perspective, how do you feel when it comes to the, the sort of, I think that it's viewed as gatekeeping, but I actually don't think it's as much gatekeeping as it is just like you kind of need to do the legwork. What are your, what are your views on that? Whenever you like, you have a young writer director and he doesn't know how to make a movie and he's trying to find a producer to come on board um what sort of advice i guess would be a better offer for you instead of trying to listen to us and 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 find our phone numbers and call us up and us having no relationship with you what advice would you have for him to building a relationship to be able to find that producer that's perfect for him that's a good question um because i mean like even myself pretty much everybody that either 
I've produced for like, mo um, I think everybody that has brought me on as a producer, I worked with on set in some other capacity, whether it was a PA or for a while I was doing G and E or, or whatever, but I did something else and that's how they kind of knew me. And then between that and then them knowing now that I do producing that kind of led to them asking me and, Yeah, I've had a few cases where, yeah, people have called me. It's like, we've never worked together. We just kind of know, you know, who each other are, um, you know, and so like, I don't, I would like, I'm the type that would say don't discount mm -hmm. like the conversation aspect of, especially if you're at a festival, taking time to talk with somebody, you know, and then like even just an email follow-up afterwards of like, Hey, great to meet you. Um, and going from there because some of those those people have come back and you know hired me because they could see from you know talking with me there you know that i was you know serious about what i do willing to learn you know because of like the questions i was asking um and stuff but i think yeah a lot of it is just getting out um and working on other people's like so often, even if they're not young, you know, high school, middle school people. So often I see a lot of beginning career filmmakers that like all they ever want to do is come work on my project and they never go out and help other people on their project. And one, it really cripples their knowledge because there's so much that they don't know about how real sets run. Like I'm still learning stuff about yeah. how, you know, real sets as you start dealing with more unions or, you know, payroll and all that operate that they're missing out on that lead to, you know, not good sets, but then also just the aspect of your circles only so far. And yeah. So yeah, that like, honestly, yeah, that's my, that's what I would say is, yeah, even if you're yeah just getting started as a wanting to be a writer and director and, you know, trying to find producers start by getting on a set, you know, even if it's just as a PA work, work that meet people and go from there. It's actually hilarious. When I asked you that question, I had the answer, like sort of an answer for myself. If I was going to answer this question, what would it, what would I answer? And it's the exact same thing get on a set, you know, your project will come, your time will come. If it's, if God gave you the project and it's in, and it's in God's uh, time, you, you'll, you'll get it made. Get on a set. Right. Mm -hmm. Because even if you meet someone at a festival, because the question is a lot of people go to festivals and they meet producers and stuff like that. The ones that you want to know are the panelists and everybody wants to talk to them. And so they're probably not going to remember you. And why would they trust you if they don't know your work ethic? Get on a set, show them what you're worth from a work ethic perspective and that you're a trustworthy kind of person and develop a relationship that way. So all comes back to getting on a set, man. I agree. 100%. Brother, thank you so much for having me on to, to guest host uh, this podcast and let's do it again sometime. I, I This has been a, a blast for me and I've learned a lot just by listening to you, man. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I always find it fun, uh, changing things up on the, on the show and, uh, surprising people with stuff. 
Yeah, man. And it's been, a, it, like I said, it's been a blessing. Um, I, I was absolutely floored when you asked me to come on and guest host. Uh, so that was, that was such a nice little surprise um, and everything like that. I know that you and I have some, some fun projects um, that we're talking about that sort of collaborating on right now. And that, mm-hmm. that, that'll be some fun stuff. So people keep your eyes out for, for things that are coming down the pipe that Mike is going to be producing in the future. And, and I pray that, that, of all the things that he's working on, that, he, that he'll find time for me at some point. <laughs> cool. Thanks again, brother. Guys, thank you guys so much for, for tuning into this episode. Um, be sure that you guys like and share this thing. If you uh, are enjoying this, if you find value in the producer's podcast, to be a producer, or if you are looking for a producer and you're trying to figure out what a producer is, this is the place to be. And it's also a great place to find how faith and the film industry very much intersect with one another. Uh, Mike is coming up with new guests and great people to bring on all the time. There's always a new perspective. There's always a new story, but also understand that your story is not going to be theirs. Um, God brings everyone to this world uh, and to each other in a different path. And so be willing to trust that and trust the process.